Hi everybody, welcome to another episode of Alchemist Podcast, which is an extension of my blog, Alchemist in the Making. I'm your host, Kimberly Ho, the millennial who finds interest in anything and everything with regards to architecture. So today's episode, we are going to be exploring and also reminiscing our incidents and perhaps adventures on our experience with working overseas. And I have the perfect guest with me, Estina Zhang, to talk about those experiences. But before we start, Estina, would you like to introduce yourself? Sure. Hey, I'm Estina, and I'm currently a UX designer here in Melbourne. But in my past life, I was in architecture, and most recently, I was working at Orbit Shenzhen, China. Before we start, I just wanted to ask, so how did working overseas came to be, actually? Oh, yeah. Um, so I got an internship opportunity in Shenzhen from Orb. Um, actually, I'd applied for it a year before, but um, at the time, the timing just didn't match up. So it was in 2017. Um, I flew over to Shenzhen for this internship. Yeah, at the time, application process was fairly easy. And when I got the offer... Like in my mind, I was thinking, oh, it's a good opportunity not just to work in architecture, but also sort of like travel a little bit since I have relatives over there and also practice my language abilities. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, yeah, like I went there and it turned out to be like amazing. And I love the company. I love the people I was working with. And I ended mm-hmm. up staying for another two and a half years. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I was there for almost three years. I think like generally there is that really nice ambition uh, a lot of us would like to go overseas in working because when we study architecture we are given all these really nice international precedents and it gives you that really nice illusion that it is important to go overseas to work as well but I think what isn't talked about much is the experience or like the things that you have to prepare yourself when it comes to working overseas and I just mm. want to know what was it like when you first go there um settling down in, in terms of just adjusting was it a smooth transition or was it a very hectic one hmm so firstly I'd just like to say that during university mm. although we did look at a lot of international precedents I think maybe that's just because the nature of architecture it's doesn't it's not that easy to build a building and just the amount of interesting precedents out there are kind of limited if we're thinking about the world in design but for me personally yeah like going to China to work was definitely a big change firstly like I wasn't that great at the language um my parents were first generation immigrants so they came to Australia 30 years ago and I was born here and I grew up speaking Cantonese and English at home and I studied Mandarin during high school but when I first went I was absolutely tongue-tied. I remember I got scammed at a dodgy hairdressing place and when people would speak with a bit of an accent like a dialect accent it was really difficult for me to understand at first and then on top of that at work definitely high pressure right I didn't know a lot of the technical language so yeah starting out I had to take a lot of notes Um, I was observing a lot of presentations and yeah, research. Google Translate was my best friend first starting out. But yeah, like maybe after three or four months, I'd really settled down, um, gotten more comfortable with my surroundings and with the people I was working with as well, kind of got a sense for the workflow and how to communicate with each other. Yeah. It's a very different experience to me because so I went overseas right after I graduated and I thought at that time having relatives already in Hong Kong and that I was semi-confident that I would be able to just talk and just improve my Cantonese just by being there again that it was going to be fine but with the language experience because in Hong Kong at least for me I was so used to going to workplaces and generally we used English to communicate 
yeah. anyway. Um, even during my previous internship, when I was also at another firm for Hong Kong, what mm-hmm. helped was that I had friends who were from different backgrounds. So it wasn't just people, the locals, but we've had people from the Philippines. We had a few Australians as well. Oh, nice. And so English was easy to communicate. But jumping back into the other work that I had, like right after graduation, it was a struggle because our company signed um, a declaration in saying that they're going to be bilingual. So when I was tasked to work between <laughs> two languages, that was where I got tongue-tied myself. Yeah, fair enough. Um, yeah, mm. also, sorry, I'd just like to preface, maybe other people don't know, but we've been talking like about this topic so much. Um, I just assumed, it just escaped my mind. But um, yeah, I'd just like to maybe explain that at Orb, I was in an international department as well. So it was like French, Chinese, English as the main languages. And so, yeah, even if I didn't speak Chinese, I would have been able to survive. But when people were translating for the resident like French architects, our lead architect is French, they would sort of leave out bits and pieces of information because that's just the nature of translation, right? Mm. Besides the professional, like full-time interpreter that we had, when it was other colleagues translating to English to French because we had architects from all different backgrounds. Yeah, a lot of the times the information is a bit mistranslated. So coming from a like bilingual background, I could pick up on that better than other people. So yeah, on my side, I could have definitely survived and worked just speaking English but the reason why I kind of picked up more on the Chinese side um, was because I felt like I could get more involved with the projects and understand what was happening a bit better yeah Mm -hmm. yeah I would agree with you on that especially when because I find that with languages sometimes different cultures have substitutions of describing certain situations that can't be described with another language as well so I can't stress enough the importance of having the two languages together or just be able to smoothly transition to it so perhaps in another time perhaps like after this recording I would love to know what it's like when you were listening to French, I'm just curious whether you picked up a little <laughs> bit of French during your work experience. Oh, look, like a little bit, just a good morning, everyday kind of greetings. But most recently, mm. I've been trying to pick up a bit more French on Duolingo as well, but I- I've still got a long way to go. Oh, <laughs> uh, I was wondering why you were picking up French all of a sudden, <laughs> because I was like... All the French people around me. <laughs> yeah, so language is quite nice. So apart from language... Just in terms of the communication, working overseas, when you went there, did you have some sort of expectation to it as well? Or hmm. So for me personally, I didn't have too much expectation going in. Mm. To be honest, this is probably not the best thing to do, but I didn't research the company too much. I didn't research mm. the city like a whole lot. I, I probably should have mm. done that. We'll do that going forward. But um, yeah, so I didn't really have any expectations going in. Um, if anything, I was expecting the office to be in like a really dingy place because my memory of Shenzhen went back to maybe like 10, 12 years ago, last time I went back. So back then, like Shenzhen was still a developing city. It still is, but at the time I was more familiar with like old Shenzhen, which is like Lohu area. And yeah, it's it's a lot more old style. So I was kind of expecting my office to be in that environment when I went in, but it was completely different. Like our office was at OCT Loft in Shenzhen. It's one of the more like hip tourist places um, with a lot of design agencies and architecture firms over there. So yeah, I actually had a very, very pleasant surprise. And yeah, I really liked the people that I was working with. I think maybe one thing I was, I wish that we learned in architecture school was kind of like the dynamic inside a team. 
some reason, mm. especially in your undergraduate, we don't really talk so much about what it's going to be like when you're working in a professional environment. So just to give a bit of context, I was a junior architect over there and I worked as a design assistant and kind of PM at the same time. And generally in a team, there's like one lead designer, one PM, and maybe one or two design assistants. That sort of dynamic, I really liked it. Um, I really liked sort of knowing that each person was going to be responsible for a different thing. And that's how the whole design comes together, like teamwork, right? But yeah, yeah that was one thing that we didn't really learn in architecture school. I think the other thing that we don't get taught a lot in terms of the professional side of things for architecture is that generally it's an expectation that we have to be really independent straight away and start looking for work perhaps like second year onwards as well and so that generally when we go into work we are thrown by surprise and I think the other thing that we are ill prepared for sometimes is perhaps working in groups as well because group work in uni is always very different to group work in a professional office as well yeah so I don't know if it's also a scale thing but when I started working in Hong Kong for the design company I was at I was in a really small team so at that office there were two designers and then two assistants so me and the assistant and Mm -hmm. I think for me it was great because I got to experience from the admin role to the designer role where (laughs) because they were of international background so it was a lot of translation for me whereas I'm also like you living off Google Translate where I had to keep translating as well. I totally know how that feels. I remember my first week at work as an intern someone from HR had HR? HR or comms someone had grabbed me and they're like oh we need someone that can translate and speak English and Chinese and my manager was like yeah take her and I'm like oh my god I don't know if I'm good enough not that my English isn't good enough I'm afraid my Chinese isn't good enough. So I ended up going, um, (laughs) I swallowed my fears and I went (laughs) and it was this meeting between outcomes people and this, um, I think they were British, uh, green design consultancy. They were there to help us like calculate some sort of, um, energy for a design that we had. I wasn't involved in this design Mm. and I was sitting there in the meeting and turns out they were trying to, um, discuss the fees involved and our side was trying to haggle. They're like, can you make it cheaper? And I was like, oh my gosh, how do I say this professionally? Like, <laughs> I was like, yeah. what is that? What does that mean? Like the Chinese part that they were trying to say? Um, yeah, I totally <laughs> know how you feel. Like when you're, especially in ABC working in China, mm. um, I don't think mm. enough people talk about it. Like the kind of expectations that are set upon you. Like at the start, I was doing a very slashy role doing like translation, a lot of interpretation, um, design, mm. assisting, PM, all that sort of stuff. Not that it was forced yeah. upon me, but just because... I kind of had these abilities. I, I guess I just got put the different types of hats on, which I didn't yeah. hate. But yeah, something I didn't expect going in as well. <laughs> and the other part that broke my expectation was because I had to do a lot of advertising and social media. So I was working at two companies at once for any of you who are wondering but the other side of the company that I was working for I had to do a lot of social media management and then the whole bilingual thing threw me off because I had to not only type the caption in English but then I have to type it in Chinese and the problem Mm -hmm. is that because the way Cantonese is being communicated across versus Mandarin being communicated that always throws me off. For sure it's different. I I don't know how like professional language in Cantonese that whole dynamic I'm not very familiar with it. At home, we were just like conversational, right? Um, Yeah. So I totally know. Formal Cantonese is hard. And it sounds even different because I 
was so used to Saturday school writing essays for Saturday school. So I would write while speaking Mandarin in my head. But then when I pass it on to my friends, right, they would be reading it and thinking, this makes no sense whatsoever in Cantonese, but it makes sense in Mandarin, but they don't speak Mandarin as well, so it makes it really hard. Even now, like, I went into this whole experience knowing more Cantonese, right, because I spoke it at home with my parents. Um, mm. But I grew up going to Chinese school from, like, primary school to high school, so I took it for VCU as well. And I was quite yeah. passionate about learning Chinese. But let me tell you, VCU Chinese is so far away from, like, being able to speak normally in everyday life in China. Like, mm-hmm. all the slang... The conversational kind of nuances, um, it's really, I think you can only pick it up if you were speaking to local people quite regularly. Especially when I went to visit you in Shenzhen, I remember going mm. back to taking the train back to Hong Kong. I was struggling because I was talking to the guy and saying, could you just, I'm a little bit lost. I just need to go back to the train station. And it was just pointing <laughs> out all these directions. And in my head, I'm thinking, I have no idea what they're saying, but I'm just going to nod and just follow where he's pointing. At least yeah. I made it back into one piece, but it was so embarrassing. Like in Hong Kong, this isn't quite sure of that I can get away with Mandarin, but then in mainland China, I'm pretty hopeless at it. <laughs> and um, But speaking of language, I think the other thing is perhaps what culture that threw me off when I worked overseas. I'm not sure about you. What was that like? Oh my gosh. So what culture in China? It's not a joke. What you hear from other <laughs> people, it's totally true. Um, I experienced mm. it, I lived through it, and I lived through it to tell the tale today. <laughs> really fast project timelines, and everything just wants, everyone just wants everything done yesterday, if you know what I mean. Like, when that day when you yeah. visited me, I think I remember we went to that um, that art centre in Sheko by oh, Pilihi yeah. We went to see an exhibition, right? And yeah. even that Saturday, I came out to hang out with you. I had to rush back to the office to do overtime in the afternoon. I remember, I think we had lunch at that noodle place near the office. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, um, a lot of overtime hours kind of expected in China. Like, you just put in as much time as you need to get the work done. And mm. oftentimes, like, the timelines are just very fast. Like, one day you can get a call at 8 a.m. saying that you have to take a flight at 10. That's not ex- an exaggeration. But besides mm. that, I think work culture, especially at the office that I was at, I was very lucky to be um, surrounded by some really amazing people, a very amazing, passionate and hardworking colleagues. Because especially in Shenzhen, it's an immigrant city, actually, um, in China. So mm. it used to be a little fishing village, but kind of in the last 20 years, it's been developed into sort of like an international city. And inside yeah. China, that means that um, a lot of people from different cities, like locally in inside China and different cities in China will migrate to Shenzhen for work. Because now a lot of the big tech company headquarters are stationed in Shenzhen as well. Yes, yes, that is true. Yeah, even though I was one of, maybe one out of four, like, international background designers, um, a lot of people in my team were also away from home and everyone was just coming to the city to kind of make it or break it. And so I really loved that energy that was in China, um, especially in Shenzhen as well. And it was a huge reason as to why I stayed for so long. <laughs> I really loved working with my colleagues and my managers and everything. I can't stress enough the importance of having really supportive teams. So even in the in terms of like working overtime, because I think the only time I've ever worked for ridiculous hours was like even till midnight 
it can't be compared to how much overtime you've gone through as well. <laughs> but I just remember that even though we were trying to rush to get one of our projects finished, it was fine because I really liked the people I was working with. I liked the company. And mm-hmm. I've met some people who have worked overseas, but they didn't get a good experience out of it because they didn't get along with the people as well. I think it's just it comes down to a few commonalities in terms of like the passion like everybody shares the same passion which is great and then yeah I guess similar mindset and I'm not sure if age plays a difference as well mm-hmm. <laughs> so for some reason when I first arrived at this office and you know like Asian people it's really difficult to tell your age like when you're like before 50 I reckon and <laughs> for some reason for the first like month um, I was trying to figure out everyone's names and, you know, who everyone was. In my mind, mm-hmm. everyone was just a, like, vague 26, 27-year-old. Um, but in my team, turns out uh, there were a few, like, ranging from mid-20s to late, mid to late 30s. And I think what it comes down to, not just working overseas, but, like, working in any environment, it's very much about getting along with the people that you work with, like, just personalities-wise. And I think when you're working in design, um, (laughs) that's another huge thing because you're spending so much time discussing. It's a lot about kind of how you digest the information and how you kind of present that as well. So the team Mm. dynamic is very, very important, especially in the design industry and architecture. Mm. Yeah, I think (laughs) you were talking about overtime. So at some point, I think I forgot what a normal work week was. Um, Typically, we were on from nine to five every day with a two hour lunch break in between. But To be honest, nine to five was only when we were going through like a really quiet period, like in between projects. <laughs> um, yeah. Usually, yeah, usually it would be more like nine to seven. And if we were really busy, maybe like nine to nine or sometimes at the end of a competition project, we would possibly stay in the office overnight just to oh get things God. done. Um, yeah, I think I remember I clocked in one ninety one hour work week once. Not super proud oh of it. Um, no, so bad. <laughs> Yeah, I, I mean, I'm really glad I went through that. I, it's not that I was forced into it or anything. To be honest, it was a lot about kind of me just wanting the project to be the best it could be. And I know it's a kind mm-hmm. of dangerous mindset, um, but I'm glad mm-hmm. that I went through it and now I'm, I've grown and I'm better all for it. But yeah, I think especially in that environment, a lot of us were quite young and inexperienced, but we wanted to take on those big, important projects. So that meant, you know, jumping ahead of our league, doing projects that we weren't super familiar with and as a result we would be slower at it had to ask people for help so that all went into why it took so many extra hours but um yeah I, I'm pretty like proud of myself and happy that I went through it just yeah. not that I'm not sure that I would want to be doing that maybe 10 years down the track I think it's also it comes from that similar uni mindset perhaps because we are here that and then also at that time, the uni that we are studying in is open 24 hours. And given that we see other friends who work over the time, like overnight or having all-nighters, it kind of makes you wonder whether you should also be doing that. I think the problem with design is that it gets really addictive because when you make a small progress, you tell yourself that, I just want to do a little bit more, do a little bit more. Yeah. And then all your hours just go by and you're like, what happened? I know. I know. It's very important to sort of time box and really set that outline from the outset Mm. like this is this should take x amount of work I know sometimes it exceeds your like some unexpected things happen but Mm. um yeah I think maybe that's one thing that I like about UX a bit more because the timelines are quite set and a lot of the times the outcomes are quantifiable um so Mm. it's not really up to like oh I think this part could look better or 
that's just not my style of facade. Like, it's not about that. Um, whereas yeah, in architecture, yeah. a lot of the time it comes down to, you know, what style the client likes. You know, does it look good? Does it feel right? <laughs> that sort of thing. Mm. Just to add on, it's like the 95 thing. It's more, I feel like it's more of the Caucasian type of mindset in comparison to like the Asian type of work culture as well. Just thinking about like other friends who have worked overseas and work culture. Right. So it's I think a very different experience. I think it could very much just do with the type of company you're at because I've, I've heard like crazy things about interns at KPFSOM in London. America, all that sort of thing. And also Mm. the type of projects that you're taking on. I think a lot of places in Europe, just because they're limited with the amount of projects that come out, a lot of time it's Mm. a lot small scale and they take more time to really perfect it, get the right materials and everything. Yeah, in China, because a lot of the projects are in developing countries, there's a lot more opportunity and, you know, everyone wants to make money. We're doing it really quickly. Um, yeah. So I think that also has to has a say in it. But in, in Chinese work culture, I think like generally, if I were to say something, like people are generally quite humble, and mm. um, it's it's all about you know if you work hard, then you'll get the results that you want. I'm not sure if I agree with that, but it, I think it's kind mm. of the mindset that a lot of ABC kids are brought up with as well. Speaking of opportunities, going back to one of just to address some of the things you said early on, I didn't know like Shenzhen was such a booming city until like I went back last year so like <laughs> yeah. last year just sitting there and then I keep hearing the term Silicon Valley like Shenzhen being Silicon Valley and then having different opportunities and I wonder like when you were working Shenzhen what type of opportunities were there like apart from like communicating with a lot of great people mm. uh, and then also your comment about jumping on a plane being somewhere at 10 from that cohort 8 oh <laughs> Uh, yeah, I think if I was to rewind a little bit, just to kind of explain the type of projects I was doing, what type of work I was doing at this company. Mm-hmm. So I was working at the International Design Studio, it was called IDS, um, in a company called Orb. We had around like 400 employees and yeah. it's a French and Chinese. The studio is in France, the original studio is in France, but then a few people came over to China and wanted to start a firm there. So in our Shenzhen office, we have um, a few architectural design teams as well as landscape design, as well as uh, mechanical, not, not mechanical. They, st- they were called MEC, but they were basically doing like H- HVAC and also structural engineering. So the type of projects we did were very varied. So during my time there, I did mostly concept design for competitions. And not many of them won, but <laughs> a few of them did. And we also mm-hmm. continued on to do some schematic design. So one of the most notable projects I did were... Um, this conference center in Nanjing. And it's actually mm. slated to be built soon. They're actually cutting out, digging out the underground right now. Oh, exciting. Um, yeah, very exciting. I worked on the conceptual design. It was a commission project by Nanjing. Yeah. Uh, this developer in Nanjing as well as Nanjing government. Mm-hmm. And it was a conference center kind of stuck to a, a mixed use across two blocks with a commercial block and also a hotel. I was mainly working on the conference center. I worked with the chief designer to make the concept design in two weeks. Ridiculous timelines, um, two weeks. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, we later on went on to do schematic development. So that took maybe like a good 10 months. I started this project maybe March last year and we only wrapped up. Oh, wow. Yeah, I kind of, I tried to wrap up most of the facade development stuff for schematic design for applications and stuff in January this year. Yeah, mm, so um, that project was quite crazy. The timelines are very, very fast. So like one year we had gone from 
the first um, concept design pitch to applying for it to get built already. And they're working on um, construction drawings and everything at the same time. Mm-hmm. So for that project, <laughs> we had a really short notice for a lot of meetings just because we had to try and get our foot in the door with um, some people in the government as well as some higher ups inside the developers company. So a lot of the time it was just like, oh, the bus is free this morning and we just have to fly over from Shenzhen to Nanjing. That wasn't out of the norm. Like I was working on this Nanjing project, but at the same time I had colleagues that were working on Chengdu in different parts of Shenzhen as well. But yeah, for our company, we mainly focused in projects that were in Greater Shenzhen as well as some other cities in China. But I do think that we did have a few projects that were overseas as well. So also in, I think there was one in Korea and one in Africa somewhere. But yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> did you go? Did you go to Africa? No, so that wasn't my department's work. <laughs> I did get the chance to go to Nanjing and Shanghai a few times for projects. Mm. It was really exciting. Oh, that's nice. I, I don't know. I would love to have those opportunities to just travel overseas one day, but it's not the easiest. Oh, I know, especially in this climate. Mm. But, um, oh yeah, so one great thing that we had at our company. So they funded a research trip for each department every year. And if you were doing well and you met your kind of production value, PV we call it, your company could fund you to go for another research trip. So (laughs) basically what a research trip is, it's basically when we can pick whatever city we want to go to. And we go there and kind of just basically explore all the architecture, urban design, landscape design in that city. So yeah, that was really amazing. I had the opportunity to go to a few cities. Yeah, the three years I was there, we went to Singapore, um, Taiwan, Went to where else? UAE. Did so you we went to Barcelona. To... Oh. I did. Oh, sorry. Uh, <laughs> there was also Dubai, Abu Dhabi, and last year we went to Japan and um, also bits of Europe. So Barcelona, Madrid, Marseille, and Paris. And yeah, also went to Shanghai as well. It was crazy. Um, <laughs> it feels like such a long time ago. But yeah, as you said, I, I visited Barcelona for the first time with work last year. <laughs> mm, travel envy for those. I'm pretty sure for those yeah. who have travel bug, we really want to be in your shoes right now. <laughs> because you had to go and travel and research. So I'm guessing that when you were researching, it was mainly visiting a lot of architecture buildings mm-hmm. as such then. Mm-hmm. Yeah, tell me about that. <laughs> um, so, as I said, well, the culture there is very much work hard, play hard. Mm. We would do crazy amount of hours, clock up crazy hours. But at the same time, I think the structure of that company was like you work hard, but you also get rewarded for it so you can get paid trips with work. Um, I think it's all part of a bigger plan to kind of keep you in the company. <laughs> but yeah, I think back to your question, some places that I really liked, um, I think most of them most recently in Europe. And also mm. Abu Dhabi. I oh my the Louvre by Jean Nouvel, absolutely crazy. The lighting and the materials, everything's absolutely stunning. Um, also, I think the Jenga building in Singapore, Interlace by Ole Cherie. Mm. So when we say research trip, it's not organized by the company. Like they pay for the flights, they pay for the accommodation, but we get to plan mm-hmm. out where we want to go, um, how to spend the money, that sort of thing. Mm. So, of course, we would want to visit Interlace. Um, you see it pasted everywhere on ArcDaily, <laughs> on the internet, right? And it's absolutely yeah, yeah. crazy. But the way we organised that one trip, we... Okay, so <laughs> the Interlace is a private development. I probably shouldn't be saying this, but um, a few of us just had to follow someone that lived there to get inside and take a look. We didn't get to go inside the d- apartments, um, just yeah, on yeah. the sort of... Just inside the complex. 
So yeah. yeah, that was absolutely crazy. I think just visiting different cities and seeing how like the local vernacular as well as the different regulations in different cities that allow for different architecture to be designed is absolutely crazy. Also, oh, I recently watched um, Aki Marathon's video on Taekwondo Center oh. um, after I told him that, yeah, Taekwondo Center, probably one of my most favorite buildings in Hong Kong. Yeah, yeah. Herzog and Demiron. Um, love their work. <laughs> but visiting Hong Kong, that wasn't with work. That was more like a train ride away from Shenzhen. So I was there pretty often just to hang out with friends and check it out. Yeah. Do you think those research has helped you immensely or is it just there to appreciate the, the I don't know, the aesthetics or <laughs> the process of it? Because yeah, I don't actually, know, I, it's my first time hearing about travel research as well, just because I'm guessing <laughs> it's probably different to uni, so. Yeah, I think, oh man, in uni, like, we should definitely be encouraging that more. I do mm. remember in a few um, projects, they did ask us to go check out a few buildings um, locally, mm. but I don't think enough emphasis was placed on that. Because, like, when you visit a place, it's, a lot of it is, you know, you can see things that you've been looking through your computer screen, you know, the plans, got your one barn, photography, yeah. and like the perfect angle in the perfect lighting. And when you visit it and you can see all the people that are moving through it, how people interact, what the materials actually look up up close, the joinery mm. and all the little details and how a space feels. Like, I think that's something that's quite difficult to express through drawings, even though, you know, as mm. architects, we try our best to be doing that for our job, right? Yeah. But there's... Yeah. Yeah, there's something about visiting a place that just can't be replaced by, you know, as much reading or photo- photography that you, you do. Do you have any places you want to revisit then, having said, like, all the details they have? Because I'm guessing that it's so nice, but because of time constraints, you can only admire yeah. it for so long. <laughs> for sure. Every time I'm traveling, you know, don't we all just wish we had another day or two more time in a place? And um, mm. yeah, I remember you asked me this question a few weeks ago and at the time my head, I completely came up at a blank, um, maybe because yeah. it wasn't really at the top of my mind. But um, yeah. later on, I went back and, you know, looked through my camera, um, looked through my mm-hmm. photo album and yeah. yeah, oh my gosh, I can't believe I forgot these places. <laughs> um, so one yeah. place I'd really love to visit again, if I had the chance again, would be the Mukim by Rudy Ricciotti. I hope I'm pronouncing his name properly. It's in Marseille. <laughs> oh my gosh, it, that building is amazing. Um, it It's a building in Marseille in France and MUCIM stands for oh, Museum of Civilizations of Europe and the Mediterranean, like M-U-C-E-M. It's, oh gosh, that, <laughs> that building, the volume is a perfect square and um, it's a museum that's overlooking the water. In Marseille and mm. the facade is just this amazing delicate concrete lace I know like you would never have thought of putting concrete and lace together right <laughs> in a description but um mm. that was like a kind of folding facade and mm. under that facade they had this outdoor walkway that would wrap around the building yeah and also the museum ended in a reef terrace that had a bridge that connects to some other buildings towards the city oh my gosh yeah. at the time um I was visiting with work and we kind of yep. split up to explore the space. And I think I went to the bathroom. I accidentally left my phone in the bathroom and I left and I was like, oh, oh my, my God, God, I can't find anybody, can't find my phone, don't know where we're meeting up because we're leaving Marseille that day. Oh my God, I freaked out. But eventually I found my way back to the bathroom. Turns out my phone was on low battery, so it didn't get as many photos as I wanted. And yep. it was a bit stressful trying to find my group again, but um, yeah, 
that was my story at the Mucum. So definitely want to <laughs> kind of have the chance to go back there again. The day that I visited, it was also very, yeah. very windy, mm-hmm. which I guess kind of added to that observation about the um, delicate concrete lace because literally the wind was enough to knock anybody over. But <laughs> this museum, yeah. the facade, like as delicate as it looked, it was made of concrete. So it was very, very sturdy amidst this crazy yeah. windy city. <laughs> it's such an irony because of materiality going back to like, we forget to appreciate materiality in person as well, just because we study it and that it's really different to a preconceived idea. And mm-hmm. I think like question for everybody out there is that when you appreciate something, do you think you're more inclined to appreciate something more when you don't take photos in comparison to having photos? Like, because you said your phone was on low battery. So I wonder if that also made you like examine every detail or like commit them into your memory. Mm-hmm. So then therefore like, yeah, just kind of reinforcing yeah, the whole that photography, appreciation right? factor. I know yeah. there's, there's a lot of conversation and discussion around, you know, when people visit a building and you're trying to get that perfect shot when nobody's in the frame, but in reality, mm-hmm. how, you know, how often does that happen? Yeah. But personally, I'm a big advocate for taking photos as much as you want, um, whenever you want. And maybe because personally, I don't have that great of a memory. (laughs) I have a really short, (laughs) I have a really short like capacity. So definitely taking photos is a great way for me to remember the places that I've been and the way Mm. I felt when I was at a space in a certain time. You know, it's important to research buildings. It's important to learn about architecture and participate in discussions around it. But definitely very important to visit for yourself and form your own ideas as well. I think in school, there's always like a framework and you're listening to what other people said, what people have said in books, that sort of thing. But it's very important to also form your own ideas as well. And, you know, like participate, like what you think, because it's not all about what they teach us in books or what the tutor is saying. It's important to have your own standpoint on things as well. And I think it's easier to kind of get that when you do visit a place and you can actually experience everything. Yeah, and I think you can only really get that when you are in professional practice, but I wish that they would state it more as well. And I think the other way to just phrase it is that, like, also consider whether there is a difference in terms of practicing locally as well as practicing overseas, because, like, it's so accessible now just to be able to work everywhere. And given with the technology, I do think that whether you are studying or working, there is a huge difference in the way you absorb architecture as well. Mm-hmm. Just even from hearing your travel experiences, you can tell that work, like after working in a firm yeah. and then when you're traveling, you have a very different mindset and lens as well. Yeah, definitely. It's shaped me on like the things, kind of things that I observe um, mm. and things that I pay attention to as well. Mm-mm. But anyhow, now that you're back here and settled back down, I don't know if you've officially settled back down in Melbourne if that's the right term well for now for now I am here (laughs) yeah you are here which I'm glad because I'm glad that I can see you more often though (laughs) but do you think you would do this all over again then just in terms of traveling more um just working overseas or or... Mm -hmm. well I guess it would really depend on circumstance I'm always looking for you know a new exciting opportunity um, but I'm very glad that I went to Shenzhen and worked in Bob for those, those years. It was a very, very mm-hmm. valuable experience for me. Um, not just, you know, just about learning architecture, but also to form my sort of point of view on what kind of career that I want. 
um, what kind of environment that I want to be working with. And also, yeah, I think if I if you were to say what I do it again, I wouldn't do exactly the same thing again because, you know, we're all about learning, growing, you know, going to bigger and better places. But if there was the right opportunity in the in a cool place, I would definitely, you know, do it all over again. Yeah. Do you have a particular city that you would like to work for or um, locally still? <laughs> so when I was in architecture, especially in Shenzhen, I really mm. wanted to move to Shanghai, especially in my second or third year there, just because mm-hmm. it's a lot more happening and the culture is quite different. Like for me, it's a blend between what I'm familiar with in Australia and also my like cultural roots in China as well. Mm. Shanghai is just a, such an international city. But I think like, yeah, for now, I don't have anything in particular. Like I'd love to stay in Melbourne and work here for a while as well. I think it's all about the kind of firm and the people that I'm working with, as well as the type of projects as well. It, I think it also comes down to what type of scale of projects you are interested in because you start off with really large scale projects. I don't yeah. know if you have... <laughs> A taste for something else whereas for me I worked on really small scale projects so I would hope to work on perhaps more on a civic based level or if not medium scale projects that's something Mm -hmm. I would like to do eventually as well so yeah awesome all about growing right (laughs) yeah that's the only way to I don't know be an adult or adulting 101 is to always grow I think I think all about life is just you know constantly today having the mindset like a growing mindset you know today I'll just Mm. be like one percent better than I was yesterday yeah don't need to put too much pressure on yourself we'll just (laughs) uh perhaps just to close things off I wanted to ask like given the whole circumstances of COVID-19 do you and also given that a lot of people are now working remotely as well Mm -hmm. like this this whole collaborative environment through the remote working would you like to design remotely? So design an international project remotely? Right, you mean kind of from my room in my computer, that sort mm-hmm. of thing? Well, yeah. I mean, given recent circumstances, that's what everybody has had to pivot to, right? Personally, I found working from home a lot better than I expected. Just with, you know, all the services and tools that we have at our expense now, we can, you know, I can just dial a call and I can reach someone overseas like in two seconds but I think for architecture specifically it's quite difficult I think you know to design a building that's going to be lasting there for you know like decades um, a lot of research needs to be put in and it's oftentimes you have to be in like a big team as well especially if you're building a large-scale project or kind of a civic project that's going to have a big impact on the city that it's in mm. and also I, I believe that you have to really get there and experience the space for yourself to fully consider yep. things. Just statistics and info on paper is not enough. Um, and especially as a young designer, maybe if I had more experience, I would think differently. But as a young designer, um, I'm thinking specifically about a time that I traveled to Shanghai to research a hotel because it was our first time, the company's first time designing like high-end hotels. We had to, you know, we the hotel wasn't in Shanghai, but the hotel was in Shenzhen. But um, yep. we traveled to Shanghai and we, you know, spoke to a hotel consultant that had worked in the industry for 30 years. And we actually went there, walked through the back of house and really saw how the circulation works and, you know, what kind of things are important for management in a hotel. Uh, Where do they need big space? What kind of hallway distances do they need Mm. so that the food doesn't get cold when you're transporting it from the kitchen to the room, right? Yeah. yeah. All those things, like I could probably read that online, but 
the way I would have absorbed it and the way I would have applied it in my work would have been very different if I didn't have the chance to kind of work there in person. Yeah, I think for now, I would definitely prefer working in real life in a place if I could, but I think depending on the circumstance, I mean, right now, all we can do is work remote, right? And I don't think it's too bad. Um, Yeah, we can have Zoom open and that's kind of amazing because generally if I was working in real life, like you wouldn't get the chance to see everybody's faces every day, right? Whereas in Zoom, you're kind of, you're seeing everybody's like frontal camera and yeah, it's just, I think it's a different type of dynamic. Yeah, I think it's only a matter of time when whether people prefer to prefer experiencing things in the virtual, if not in the physical. So mm-hmm. I think just for the two of us, the way we have been working over the years is that we're used to seeing things physically as well as the tangibility. Sure. And I think architecture is that industry where the tangible is quite crucial because it's very important because space anyway. Yeah. At the end of the day, we're there to design that tangible end product as well. And Mm -hmm. especially for architecture, sometimes it's difficult to really feel the scale of things, especially Mm -hmm. if you're working in a large scale cultural or um, kind of skyscraper, you don't (laughs) know what 150 meter tall tower feels like until you stand in front of it and you're looking up and it doesn't end the environment that you're designing in and but also depending on the team and the project um those things could all change but i think generally of course designing um locally and kind of experiencing things in real life there's nothing that can beat it yeah that is a really good way to close things off uh anyhow just wanted to say thank you so much again for joining me on this episode because this is one of the topics I find that not many people can talk about. We can always talk about how great the experience is, but it's like adapting and then yeah, just for sure. submerging to the environment. It's not talked much. Yeah, and I think especially in the design, especially architecture space, when I was a student, I didn't have access to people that were talking about their experiences being like, what what went wrong? It wasn't about, you know, all the rainbows and everything that came out of work like there's a lot of struggle as well involved um so yeah I'm really happy that you had me on for this episode and I hope whoever listens to this has yeah has gotten some value out of it it's always nice to have you and we'll see what else we can talk about next time and we have you back again and before we go do you have any other things you'd like to share with us just perhaps your handles or oh yeah um, I don't know Sure. (laughs) So we can follow Um, your next adventures. Yeah. So I think I'll leave it in the description bar. But I've got Instagram, uh, Mm -hmm. building out my website at the moment, and also I'm active on Medium. Um, In the next few months, I'll also be writing a few pieces on my experience working overseas as a designer, and amongst Mm. other things. So yeah, you can find me there. Yeah, that would be great. And I think I'll get a list of places that you've talked about, and I will definitely share them with other people so they can experience that. Awesome. For sure. Anyhow, thanks again for joining us, everybody. Please subscribe as always and share with us with your thoughts as well as any other topics that you would like us to discuss. But in the meantime, we'll see you for another session. Bye! Bye! Bye.